Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We're going to begin today in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, and we're going to do a little moving around, and uh, then we're going to bring it in. I'm going to try to bring it in a little bit early, but I say that, and whenever I say that, it doesn't happen. So, but, but I'm, I'm going to try to. Father, again, open eyes, yeah, and, and cause us to leave here, God, not just, you know, well, we, we check that box, but uh, Father, leave here with a deposit in our hearts, Father, and new understanding, revelation, and strength for the days ahead, and we give you the honor for it in advance. We all say, amen. amen. Okay, Philippians chapter 3 and verse, verse 1, Paul says by the Holy Spirit, finally, and usually you find that word at the end of a letter, but in this case, he happens to be moving to a new section uh, of this particular letter. He says, finally, my what? Brethren. You know, we're, we're all family, brothers and sisters facing the same temptations, the, the same human struggles, and, and I don't care what your title is, what you do, who you think you are, where you went to school, none of those things. Hurt me, I'll cry. Cut me, I'll bleed. And eventually the grind can get to all of us. And because of that, Paul gave this, this directive. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it would seem strange that a man would write this from, from a prison cell. He was facing the possibility of execution, which is, you know, that, that's, that's a big deal. But nonetheless, we find this man telling people to rejoice, and, you know, that's the real whole, whole point of the, the whole thing. Our, our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Because our hope and our joy and our peace come from somewhere else. So despite what was happening and some tough things were happening, this man was happy enough to preach a message on joy. He said, rejoice in the Lord. You may not be able to rejoice over all your situations and everything that happens, and everything that happens is not the, the will of God, but even when things do not go as planned, you can still rejoice in the Lord. Again, you may not have the ideal circumstances, but you do have the ideal Lord. Does anyone understand what I'm saying? He said, rejoice in the Lord. And since the Lord doesn't change, your rejoicing doesn't change. Now, I am the Lord, the Bible says, and I change not. That's what he says about himself. So if we are worshiping the same God, no matter what happens around us, beneath us, and, and, and on the side of us, none of that should impact us. Then he said this, for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious for you, it's safe. And what he's saying here, because he's not really talked about this subject yet in this epistle, but what he's saying is when I was with you, I, I spoke to you guys about it. I, I taught you about the, the power of joy and, and, and cautioning you not to let the devil steal your joy verbally. But, but now I decided I need to put it in writing by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Just because you said it once doesn't mean that others necessarily got it. And just because you heard it once doesn't mean you necessarily got do you, do you get what I'm saying? Bruce Lee said this. He said, I don't fear the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once. Fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Keeping at it is the key to becoming successful. Nehemiah 8.10 says the same thing in the Old Testament context. He said this, do not sorrow, meaning don't let a... Few sad moments turn into a sad life. Yeah. 
And that's sometimes where we milk a sad incident for the rest of our lives and journey on earth. And you got to be mindful of that. You know, one of my biggest problems, I'd say, in, in my life, as well as my ministry, is I'm a guy that kind of loves deeply and sometimes a little too deeply. And I know that sounds strange, but you can't love everybody the same way. Like, I'm not to love every woman like my wife. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I'm not to, to love strangers and, and give them the same level of trust that I might give a dear and close and proven friend. So one of my challenges is that I, I, I tend to love a little bit too much and think a little bit too deeply. Until one day I began to, to ask myself, I said, self, how much of what weighs me down is not even mine to carry? And sometimes you got to ask yourself, how much of what you're letting weigh you down is not even yours to carry? Nehemiah said, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Literally, the delight of Jehovah is your strong refuge. You see, when we let the devil steal our joy... We're not just getting sad, but we're actually forfeiting our spiritual strength and protection. Here's the question. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, is that frown you've been wearing worth all that? Every time you give in to that longer than you should, you lose strength and you lose protection. You know, the problem comes when, when we build a house where God only intended us to pitch a tent. And we will all go through moments of sorrow. But the Bible says, you know, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But what I hear is some folks saying weeping endures for weeks, six months, seven months, five years, 20 years later, still talking about what mama did, daddy did, what uncle said, and, and what happened. You hear what I'm saying? where God wanted us to pitch a tent in a place he wanted to minister to us, and we had to go through those emotions. But 20 years later, you have now poured concrete. You hear what I'm saying? You build up walls, and this is your address. This is not someplace you're passing through. This is now where you live, what happened to you. 20, 30, 15 years ago. Now, we were in Philippians 3 and 1. I want you to follow here. Now we're moving on to Philippians 4 and 4. And you're going to see the same language, and you're going to think we were in the same chapter. Watch what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. Rejoice in the Lord when your wife's acting right. By the way, she's traveling. There's no problem here. I'm not talking about this. <laughs> we're good. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, here's the question. How often is always? I know this is some tough stuff. A great philosopher once said, we only need three things to be happy. Only three things. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. Now, someone to love. Does anyone in this room have Jesus? All right. Something to do. Is anyone working for the kingdom? Something to hope for. Has God given anyone in this room a hope and a future? 
If he's done those things, we have something to shout about, something to clap about, something to rejoice about, something to praise him for. Now, the challenge with preaching these messages is because some people are weird, and they turn everything into a law and, and, and just rigidity. And what they'll do is, well, you know, you're going through a sad moment. Now, listen, we go through tough times, and, and we, 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 you know, the Bible says in James, and that's why you don't want to be a one-verse Bible person. You've got to be a whole Bible book, yeah, book person. He says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So there's going to be times where we're going to cry, and it's the right thing to do to cry. So don't criticize someone when they're going through a challenge. I thought you were spiritual. I thought you were a man or woman of faith. No, no. Cry with them. The problem is when we stay. Again, we start pouring concrete, and this becomes our address, and, and I'm scarred for life. I will not move from here. This will be the story I replay every day until I die. That's when we get into trouble. So in verse 4, at the top of it, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, Again, now, he taught the Philippians this orally when he preached to them. Then he wrote it in chapter 3. Then he repeated it at the beginning of this verse. And now he says it again. He says, again, I say rejoice. Nowhere in the Bible is there a commandment or a statement made more emphatically. How many of you know killing is a big deal? Well, murder really is what the Bible says. But as serious as murder is, we never read, do not murder. I mean ever. And again, I say to you, do not murder. But we, when it comes to the subject of joy, we get that command. Interesting. What I want you to see today is that joy is not a feeling. It's a command. It's a divine direct. Stay with me. Why does God command us to rejoice? Because he doesn't ever want us to let negative people turn us into one of them. Every minute we choose bitterness, that was 60 seconds we lost happiness. Stay with me. It gets tough. Then he goes on and says, let your gentleness... Other translations say reasonableness, be known to all men. Now, this term here is translated a lot of different ways in our modern translation, but the actual meaning of the term is, is essential for maintaining community. And what this reasonableness means is talking about a person that seeks the best for everyone, not just themselves. You see, as hard as you may try, you, you can never come up with agreeable solutions for disagreeable people. So he, he's saying, man, you need to, to be reasonable, and there needs to be a gentleness and, and a, a yieldedness about you that it's not just about what you want, what you think, and where you're coming from, but what's best for the whole team. And then he goes on and says, the Lord is at what? Hand. Do you know the next great thing in God's prophetic timetable? It's the return of Jesus. Everything in Scripture that has been prophesied about Jesus has been fulfilled, except this one event, and believe me, it will too. So what we have to do when we're dealing with sorrow and sadness is keep our eye on the big picture because this too shall pass. Then he goes on. He says, be anxious for what? No thing. 
Worry doesn't take away today's troubles or tomorrow's trouble. It just really takes away today's peace. This is easy to say, the things I'm teaching on today, and much harder to do. For me, now you might be different, but whenever I try to stop worrying and stop being anxious, I only get worse. Is anybody like that? Because when I try to stop worrying and I stop trying to be anxious, I start worrying about my worrying, and then I become anxious about my anxiety. About a year and a half ago, you know, we, we were, we bought this 11.5 acres that we're, we're going to move to in a minute and all the rest, and we, we're going to build this great worship center. And yeah, that's, amen, that's good. But during that time, I was told after we purchased the land, we did all the studies and we made all that investment and everything, I was told that our initial uh, geotechnical study was, was, was wrong, and that it was going to cost us over $4 million to truck in additional soil to replace the soil that needed to be removed. It was a deal breaker. Uh, we had already spent hundreds of hours on the project. We had uh, uh, overcame multi-million dollar obstacles to build the building, um, and, and we had replaced the architect and, and also the project manager for incompetence. A lot of things were going on. So at, during this period, along with my, my travel issues and responsibilities and the responsibilities in the church and lots of things were going on, over time it started to take a toll. And I happened to wear a Fitbit on my wrist. And, uh, you know, it's one, one of the little funny things I do. I look at it all the time. Did I get my 10,000 steps? You know, uh, did I sleep? You know, I don't know. Just it's like looking in the mirror. We look in the mirror. We pay too much attention to ourselves. But anyway, my Fitbit tells me all that health stuff. So, I, you know, I checked my Fitbit, and my heart rate shot up to over 85 uh, beats per minute in its resting phase. Now, I was typically about 65. So like a dummy, I went on the internet to see what the internet would say <laughs> about what was going on. So, you know, the first post, the doctor post, he says, everyone that ever came to him with a resting heartbeat above 85 was dead within a year. Then I confided in a few, you know, bishop and pastor friends and I said, maybe I need to talk this through. And I told them, not, not everything, because that was just too much, but I told them about some of the challenges that we were facing. Immediately, they looked me in my eye and said, this is going to kill you. Then I gave a detailed report to some of our senior leaderships here, good people and everything, and they, they, they meant well. But their first word to me is, Bishop, this is going to kill you. So... I was not only dealing with, you know, there was just numerous crises, including, you know, the building project. This stuff started happening, snakes showing up at the house and crazy stuff going on. It's just really, and I began to worry about my worrying. And then I became anxious about my anxiety. And what finally calmed me down in this season is the verses I'm going to read to you. The problem was I had read it wrong all the time. Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. This verse can actually be translated more literally, stop being anxious about everything. But here's the deal. This verse does not tell us to, to kind of white knuckle this thing. Instead, God gives us an alternative. He says, don't be anxious about anything or, or for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer. 
What Paul is not saying to pretend that we're not anxious when we are, but to turn our worries into prayer. And here's the deal. If Jesus could turn water into wine, he could turn my fears into faith. Yeah. Here's what I know. Everyone who runs toward God makes it. So what I had to do in that season is not stop worrying. Stop being anxious. It was shut up. You hear what I'm saying? It was, you know what, Lord, I'm going to stay a little bit longer in this book. You know, I might be a half hour late to the office. It might mean, you know, if I wake up and started waking up in the night, I'd open up my Bible and the devil hated that. He put me right back to sleep, you know, because if he knew what I was going to do, you hear what I'm, or I put on a little, my iPad, I put on Bible and I just listened to scriptures till I fell back to sleep. It's amazing. I started just sleeping right through the night because, you know, so, but... <laughs> Here's the deal. Don't make it a pride thing. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm happy. Stop it. That's weird. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, the fruit of our Christianity is happiness. And we'll have moments, man. You'll have moments. That's just life, and that, that's, that's real. But just don't stay in those moments. Again, don't build, uh, uh, don't, don't, don't build a house where God wants us to, to pitch a tent. It says, but in what? Everything. You see, there are no areas of our lives that, that are too small for God to be concerned with or about. In fact, it's the small things that make up the big things. Anyway, but in every worrisome, vexing, infuriating thing by prayer. See, this is why I pray so much. It's not to be religious. It's because I'm contending with a real devil. I'm dealing with my own flesh. How many of y'all had a flesh in here too? Okay. I'm living in this upside down world. And prayer has become the most important conversation I have in a day. Without it, I'm, I'm like Samson without his hair. I'm, I'm like Moses without his staff. I'm, I'm like Joshua without his sword, like Elijah without his mantle. I'm like the Hulk without anger when I don't have these conversations. And we, we make prayer such a duty and a religious thing, and we put a clock but it's amazing when I have that heart-to-heart -heart with him, how I walk away being okay. And, and, and I, I can't quite explain it. For those of us have not experienced it, you, you won't quite get it. He's not just saying, don't be anxious. He's not just saying, stop that as much as do that. And when you do that, that diminishes. Do you understand? So in your life, you may have real issues that, call, that are causing anxiety. And I'm not saying pretend they're not so. You may have things that, that, you know, are really worrisome. And God is not saying don't do that as much as do this, and that will begin to shrink, okay? So it is a commandment, but understand, don't start living under the law where it's like, well, I'm, I got to be happy. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. No. What you do is you begin to, 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 to go to God and say, you know what? I got problems so serious. I, I'm not going to be able to maybe make that dinner with y'all. I'm not going to be able to maybe watch that. Lord, I got to turn to my face to the wall. Lord, I got to seek you. I got to hear from you because that's the only way I'm going to be okay. And in fact, some of these horrible times in our lives, though the devil wants to use it to destroy you, but God wants to use it to draw you closer. And, when, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, I, you know I've read through the Bible. I, I know my Bible verses, preached a lot of sermons, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people have been saved. But still, my humanity was getting the best of me. And you'll never get to a place where you don't need God. So what I had to do is say, you know what, I'm just going to have to get closer. 
And if that means three hours a day, Lord, I'm going to be three hours in your word. That means getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning before I go to work. Lord, I'm going to get in your word so I could be okay. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? So, yes, do not worry. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. But you do that through giving yourself uh, uh, to the Lord and, and really making prayer a vital part of your life. It says, in everything by what? So for me, a year and a half ago, that everything included some serious stuff. I'm not sure exactly what everything for you means, but it does include everything. In everything by what? Prayer. We tend to use prayer as a, as a, as a last resort, but it's really a first line of defense, and, and we have to stay ahead of this thing. Here is, is where a lot of folks get derailed on the subject of prayer. And the challenge is prayer is not always an emotional experience. In fact, some conversations with the Lord are quite annoying. I don't want to admit what I have to admit. Uh, I, I, I want to avoid the issue at times. And um, sometimes I don't feel good about what I'm saying. I don't feel good about my faith level. And uh, I, I know it. But God's saying, hey, this is relationship. And, and your faith comes out of relationship with me. So, so, man, when you got stuff running through your head and, and things not adding up right and, and, and you're feeling stuff, if there's anyone you should talk to, it ought to be me, God saying that. And, and, and here's the deal, deal, deal with prayer. You're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to like it because prayer is primarily about believing it. Do you understand? That's really what God's after is your trust. I, I, I've said this before, but how would you like to have a child? That's no longer, you know, when you're three years old, that might be okay. But a child, let's say, you know, is 22 years old. And that child doesn't believe you love them unless they could touch you, unless they feel you. Imagine all day long, they just, you got to hug them and feel them and just, oh, you're okay. I'm rich, yeah. I love you. What does that say about the maturity of the child? You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.